0: Warning, money's crazy mind contains language that may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised, but will be completely ignored. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast about everything and nothing, all at the same time. This is Money's Crazy Mind. Good moment, everybody. Hello and welcome back to Money's Crazy Mind. I know I've been gone for an extended period of time, but as Dr. Ian Malcolm said in Jurassic Park, life uh, finds a way to fuck up your podcast. Uh... It's been a crazy couple of weeks here uh, for me. Um, my 36th birthday happened, and as a very special birthday present, Governor Mike DeWine here in the wonderful state of Ohio decided to give me the same exact fucking curfew that I had when I was nine years old for my birthday. That's right. On my birthday, the state of Ohio issued a 10 p.m. curfew for every resident of Ohio. All restaurants that don't offer carryout or delivery had to close at 10 p.m. All bars must close at 10 p.m. You know, gyms, anything anything that used to be 24 hours or anything that's not quote-unquote essential had to close their door have to close their doors because the, the, it's still in effect they extended it um have to close their doors at 10 p.m well friends i am one of these so-called essential workers you know the people that have been able to work throughout this entire pandemic but ...have received no extended health care benefits... ...no hazard pay for having to put ourselves and our families at risk... ...daily... ...to make sure that people can get their essential needs... ...food, you know, basic essentials, toilet paper, soap, shit like that... ...you know, but we've been putting our health and our bodies on the line... ...since this thing started... And it just seems like we get no help from anybody, you know, but that's a topic for another podcast. But because of that and because where I work does offer carry out, does offer drive through and does offer delivery, it's business as usual for us as it's been since this whole fucking thing started back in March for the state of Ohio. I know other states have kind of been going through it a little bit longer, but for us here in Ohio... It all started in March. We had our first confirmed cases. So because of that, you know, my schedule has obviously changed. Things are going on, especially with me being in management. You know, I'm needed there at different times during the day now. You know, and just like everywhere else, we're being affected by this, either by, you know, family members of our crew testing positive or you know whatever and they have to leave or schools in the area having some confirmed cases and those kids having to quarantine you know whatever we haven't had actually any actual confirmed cases at our stores but we have had some of the close contact stuff where it's like okay stay home um so thank god for that you know but because of that you know my hours have changed my schedule has changed so i don't get home now until the fuck what fucking time is it now um, it's two o'clock in the goddamn morning and I've only been home like a half hour 45 minutes and generally I don't feel like fucking recording I don't I, I don't feel that I have anything that is that necessity to say at the time I, I do have... Shit, I want to say, I do have episodes, I want to get off my chest. I do have stuff that I want to talk about. It's just one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning isn't really an ideal time, and the only reason I'm even recording this today is because over this past week, I've seen a couple of things, so we're gonna kind of do a little bit of of what I call shoot the shit, you know, and i and I kind of borrow that term from professional wrestling shooting and professional wrestling is when a wrestler doesn't have a pre planned storyline. You know, they're not they're not out there with, you know, reading a script like they're in a TV show or a movie. You know, it's not something that's been heavily produced and you know, if you, if you're a fan of WWE You know, everything there is heavily produced. But AEW kind of allows more of the shooting. Um, Back in the day, WCW, ECW, those guys allowed shooting. And even WWF, to some extent, back in the day, before they had a change and all that, they did a little bit of shooting. So that's what shoot the shit is for me. It's just me shooting on whatever I want to say. So here's what I'm going to talk about. It's been a rough month. For the Pittsburgh Steelers and when I say month I'm talking about from November 13th to December 13th so if you remember back near the beginning of the season the Tennessee Titans had a huge outbreak of COVID at their facilities so the Steelers had their bye week move from week 7 to week 4 so that they can accommodate The Tennessee Titans and still get that game played, which has been the initiative of the NFL from the beginning. They want to play every game. They want to make sure that all games get played so that there is a clear and precise road to the playoffs. The Steelers did not even necessarily get a total bye week because the game against the Tennessee Titans did not get postponed until two days before the game was to be played. So, Friday, which means they had practiced that whole week. And then all of a sudden on Friday, they're like, hey, game's being moved to week six. Enjoy the rest of the week. So they technically only had like a three-day bye week because then they had to go right back to work the next week for the next game. Fast forward to November, the week of Thanksgiving. All of a sudden, same thing happens with the Baltimore Ravens. The team they were supposed to play thanksgiving night in prime time and me being a steelers fan yes i live in ohio me being a steelers fan this is a thanksgiving tradition for me it has been a thanksgiving tradition for me since the steelers started playing thanksgiving games normally it's been against the patriots but i think with the exit of tom brady and rob gronkowski The Patriots have kind of lost their luster this year, and they're not playing all that well. The Patriots have had their, uh, you know, bouts with COVID as well. So first it was just a couple players here and there. Then all of a sudden they're saying anywhere between 10 and 15 confirmed cases. And then the day before the fucking game is supposed to happen, Lamar Jackson comes down with COVID. And they're like, oh, their starting quarterback has COVID. They can't play the fucking game. Well, Fuck you. This is now the second time this has happened to the Pittsburgh Steelers. That game gets delayed for 10 fucking days. And the game was supposed to be in Pittsburgh. So, finally, here it is Wednesday, a week, almost a week and a half later. And the game is finally played on a Wednesday night. Then, their game against the washington football team was delayed that was supposed to be a sunday night game it got moved to monday night the steelers up to that washington game were undefeated and not by lack of trying Uh, let me tell you there were some really close calls that they've been having this season and the steelers have kind of had their bout with COVID too a couple of their players have come down with it and you know because other players have come into close contact with some of the members of those other teams That came down with it, they then had to quarantine. So, I'm not saying that the Steelers aren't 100% at fault here, or 100% innocent. You know, some of their, you know, James Conner, he had it, he was on the COVID list. He just recently came back. So, then that game got their schedule moved. So, then they were on short rest for that game. You were talking Monday to Wednesday, or Wednesday to Monday. That's not a lot of time. So, they played essentially three games in 12 days that is something that no other team in the nfl has been tasked with or asked to do since you know the beginning of the season let's just call it what it is then they play the bills a tougher team and they did have a little bit more time to rest this time they had a full week monday to sunday you know but they're still reeling from these 12 three games in 12 days they lose against the the Washington red er, sorry the Washington football team and then they lose against the Buffalo Bills so here's what i see plastered all over fucking social media hey better go check on your Steelers fans friends they ain't okay hey check on your Steelers they're not okay hey Check on the Steelers. They're probably all ass hurt right now from everything that's been happening. I ain't ass hurt. What I am is fucking pissed off. And here's why I'm pissed off. Not because the Steelers have been, had their schedule changed twice. Well, technically three times because of fucking COVID. Because that Washington game got moved too. So that's three games that got changed due to COVID. Not because they've lost two in a row. They went from 11-0 to 11-2. I don't give a fuck about that. What I give a fuck about is that most of the people, on my timeline anyway, being from Northeast Ohio, that is saying this shit are the same fucking Browns fans that for the past 30 fucking years have been going, Uh, oh, the Browns can't catch a break. Uh, oh, the coach sucks. Uh, oh, we can't find a quarterback. Uh, oh, this. Uh, oh, that. Oh. <laughs> our football team is a fucking dumpster fire. And now all of a sudden that the Browns are doing good, everybody forgets that they've been the ones that have been the whiny fucking asshats for the last 30 fucking years. Well, let me tell you something, Browns fans. Steelers fans are perfectly fine. We understand we can't win every game. We understand that there's extenuating circumstances that led to these two losses. But we don't fucking care. Because I'll tell you what, the more shit you motherfuckers talk, the more shit our team is going to beat out of you in the fucking playoffs if your team makes it there. Your team is 9-4. and four. You just got beat by a crippled fucking Ravens team. Because they're still dealing with COVID. I don't even think Lamar Jackson played tonight. It might have still been fucking Robert Griffin III. But you guys want to talk all this shit? Bring it on. But just remember, you guys are always the whiny fucking bitches every Sunday, every time your team loses. And you can sit there and be like, oh, we're used to it. We've been horrible for decades. Nah, nah, nah. But yet you guys are always the ones saying, oh, the defense can't do this. Baker Mefield is dropping passes. And I got proof. I got fucking proof because I saw it all night tonight during Monday Night Football. And I hate I, I really hate to be this guy because obviously most of my friends are fucking Browns fans. But all of a sudden you guys want to sit here and get all high and mighty because your team is nine and four. My team is eleven and two. My team makes it to the playoffs just about every fucking year. My team has won six Super Bowls. Your team hasn't won a fucking championship since nineteen sixty fucking four. my team's had one owner yours has had three four technically my team's had four coaches in the past 40 years your team has had four coaches in the past two seasons so browns fans this is the last thing i'm going to tell you then we're going to jump into our topic for this week i don't see a single steelers fan whining bitching complaining about officiating complaining about this complaining about that and if they are they're not on my timeline they're not anybody that i personally follow and i'll say this too i give the browns a shit ton of credit for everything that they've been able to accomplish this year without a training camp without any of the shit that had without the preseason without any of that you guys have a brand new coach a brand new system and the browns are kicking ass and taking names all over the nfl But you're still two and four. Well, two and three, technically, in the division. You still have the Steelers one more time. And this time it's in their turf. So just remember that. We still got one more runaround to go. And to all my Browns fans out there that have been understanding and somewhat respectable to what the Steelers are going through, thank you. Thank you. This technically isn't for you. It's for everybody else out there that wants to sit there and bitch and whine and complain that the Steelers fans are fucking pissed off. We have a right to be pissed off. Our schedule has been pissed on and fucked over more times than any other team in the fucking NFL. We'd probably still be undefeated if we didn't have to bow down to all these other teams that can't get their COVID fucking shit in order. And like I said, the Steelers aren't completely innocent in that. The Steelers have had a couple of cases of COVID that have come out of their camp as well. But not to the extent of the Titans. Not to the extent of the Ravens. Not to the extent of the Patriots. And we haven't played the Patriots this year. And I think they should be damn lucky that we haven't. Now, everybody can sit there and say, Oh, the Steelers had one of the easiest schedules in all of fucking football. Okay, maybe we did. But now, our schedule is getting a lot more difficult. You know, we just played the the Bills. The Bills are a team that's kicking ass and taking names all over the NFL as well. We still have the Colts. We still have the Browns. The Browns are kicking ass and taking names, like I just got done saying. But there's also that, that, you know, little speck of a team in Cincinnati that we still have to play as well. You know, that team that sucks ass right now. All right, that's enough football. All right, so before we jump into this week's topic, I do just want to say one more minor thing. It has nothing to do with football. I went on my little 16-minute football rant. I'm done with that. Um, I do have a couple of the shows that are kind of sitting in the can, a couple of Musicians Talking Musicians episodes. Um, and I know I dropped part two of the Chris Benoit episode, and there's still a part three that's going to happen to that. Um, and I could have dropped a couple of those shows during the hiatus, but, you know, like I said, I've been getting home at 1 o'clock in the morning, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, depending on the day of the week. And by that point, I'm just burnt and I'm done. You know, um, life for essential workers hasn't been easy since the beginning of this pandemic. And being an essential worker myself, I know what all of you guys are going through. I feel for each and every single one of you, all the people at at, at grocery stores, drug stores, hospitals. Doctor's offices, you know, restaurants, all these places, and especially having to deal with all these customers that still think that wearing a mask just isn't important to them. You know, I have my own personal feelings about everything that's going on in the country, in the world, with all of this COVID shit. But at the same time, there are several members of my immediate family that are high risk, either be it because they're smokers, their age or underlying health issues that they have going on. My grandmother has been in a assisted facility for the past few months. She's already in the final stages of kidney failure. She's going through sundown, the beginning stages of dementia. She's had a stroke. And because of all that shit, I haven't been allowed to see her. You know, but my dad is also up there in age. He's also a smoker. You know, he's very worried about it. You know, I've been staying away from my dad too because, you know, I'm in a high risk environment working in a restaurant, you know, but I, I do what I can to try to protect my family. I also do what I can to try to protect some of my friends. Some of my friends are also high risk. I've lost a friend to COVID. So I'm very sensitive to, to a lot of the regulations that are out there so for everybody that works in a high risk essential quote-unquote business i feel for you i raise a glass to you and let's just hang in there and we'll get through this together so that's kind of been part of a lot of the reasons why there hasn't been a show over the past couple of weeks i think that last benoit episode went out the first week of november so it's been About a month, over a month that I've, I've taken a break from not just this show, but another show that I do. And, you know, I apologize, but you know, (laughs) this don't pay no bills. So I got to put this to the side when the other boss calls and says, we need you, but Here's what we're going to talk about this week. We're already 20 minutes into this thing. and We haven't even discussed the fucking topic yet. So here's what we're going to talk about this week. Two different um, versions of the same story are being released out to mass media. And the story is of the Centennial Park bombing. The Olympic Centennial Park bombing from Atlanta in 1996. The Richard Jewell story. The Eric Rudolph story, however you want to consider it. There are two versions of this story that have been released to mass media um, this past month. The first one is called uh, Manhunt Deadly Games. And it's currently being available on Netflix. Currently being available. that That's not even a fucking sentence. Um, currently available for streaming. That sounds better uh on netflix the second is a movie simply titled richard jewel directed by clint eastwood um you know the guy that gave us Gran-, Gran torino and you know all those great westerns that he's done in the past and all the other stories that he's told in the past million dollar baby etc sex or so on and so forth that is now currently being streamed on hbo and hbo max So obviously, if you have HBO through your cable subscription or you pay for HBO, you know, through the app, however, it is available that way. Or if you pay for HBO Max, you can get it that way. So what I want to do is I want to give a brief synopsis of what the story is without giving away a lot of the major plot points for anybody that wasn't alive like me when this shit went down now mind you i was only like a 10 11 years old when this happened so i don't remember a lot of how it all went down at the time but watching this i definitely remember a lot of this story coming out i remember my parents talking about it um and obviously the world was talking about it. You bomb the Olympics, the entire world's going to hear about it because of all the countries that are involved. So a lot of like the key plot points and stuff like that, I'm not going to dive a lot into that just because, you know, watch the shit for yourself. Gauge your own opinion and so on and so forth even though, obviously, this is a true story and everything happened. I, what I want to do is talk about the differences between the two Tellings of the same story, so we'll we'll talk about uh, mind hunt, deadly game, manhunt, deadly games first, and then we'll get into the movie Richard Jewell. So, what is the Olympic Centennial Park bombing, and who is Richard Jewell? Who is Eric Rudolph? So, the S- Olympic Centennial Park bombing happened during the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia. A man by the name of Richard Jewell was working security. And one night during the games, um, there's a concert that was happening outside of Olympic Stadium, or what was the Olympic Stadium for Atlanta. And, you know, obviously there's thousands and thousands of people that are in attendance. Sorry, Oof. a little bit of a lump in my throat there. I apologize about that. Um, thousands and thousands of people in attendance at this concert, and he's patrolling. He finds this group of teenagers, you know, throwing beer bottles at the sound uh, sound tent for the concert. It tells him to disperse. They basically give him the renegat routine, and he goes and he grabs local law enforcement. And says there's kids throwing beer bottles at the sound tent. Blah blah blah. Local law enforcement, Atlanta PD, steps in, disperses the kids. And then among his next patrol, he notices that there has been this um, Alice pack left underneath a bench near where these kids were just goofing off. He grabs local law enforcement again, says there's this suspicious package. Law enforcement, you know, they kind of just like, dude, it's probably just somebody's, you know, you know beer that they're trying to sneak in blah 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 why worry about it you know and he's like no i think we have to you know we have to follow protocol on this we have to follow protocol on this we need to check it out local law enforcement calls in atf atf looks at the bag discovers it's a motherfucking pipe bomb not just one pipe bomb but three pipe bombs so that all of a sudden richard jewell along with local law enforcement starts pushing people away from the area they try clearing a 150 foot radius You know, from the bomb to try to protect people. You know, and while he's doing that, this thing goes off. It injures a hundred people, kills two. One from direct shrapnel, another one from a heart attack that they suffered afterwards. Essentially, you know, Richard Jewell saved a bunch of people's lives that night. What happens afterwards is a media crucifixion and that's the only way i can really think of wording this a media crucifixion unlike anything that i have heard of since the west memphis 3 case in 1993 so just three years prior to this if you think about it and obviously i was way too young to remember the west memphis 3 but i have studied that case inside and out for the better part of 15 years Um, I did a report on it for my senior year in high school, uh, for my sociology class, and also my government class. And, you know, um, it's just been, it kind of became a lightweight obsession for me for a little bit. Um, So the way that Richard Jewell kind of got railroaded after this, reminds me a lot of what happened to Damian Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly, and Jason Baldwin in the West Memphis Three case. I'll talk about the correlation between the two of those and also a little bit of how, you know, the Stephen Avery case kind of is f- similar, I guess is the right word, um, to what happened to Richard Jewell here. So after, you know, obviously everybody's hailing Richard Jewell as a hero. Then a reporter, I'm, I'm leaving names out of this because, like I said, you know, I kind of want you guys to see. I'm just kind of given some basic facts. A reporter for the Atlanta Journal Constitution or something like that runs a story stating that the FBI is now looking into hero Richard Jewell as the prime suspect for the bombing, having kind of a hero complex. Um, you know, he was in law enforcement. He kind of failed at it. And he's trying to find a way back into law enforcement. So that's why he got the security gig for the Olympics. Fast forward. While the FBI is has Richard Jewell under complete surveillance. After being massacred by this reporter in the newspaper. CNN picked up the story. Jay Leno picked up the story. Almost every major news outlet and media outlet all of a sudden goes Right for Richard Jewell and says this is your number one prime suspect this is public enemy number one here's where it gets interesting Richard Jewell was never charged in this case the FBI never brought federal charges against him for terrorism but yet in the court of common opinion in the court of media I guess is what we could call it Richard Jewell is a convicted terrorist for dropping that bomb at the Olympic Games. Meanwhile, in Atlanta and Birmingham, Alabama, three more bombs go off. Actually, four more bombs go off. Two in Atl- Three in Atlanta, one in Birmingham. That guy is a guy by the name of Eric Rudolph. Rudolph... Is fucking John Rambo in real life, trained in evasion, trained in explosives, trained in all this weird, goofy special forces shit and leads the FBI and the ATF on a crazy ass Rambo style fucking goose chase through the woods. (laughs) It's crazy and this dude is targeting law enforcement and they they figured this out because in one of the bombings there were two bombs one bomb goes off and that goes hey law enforcement we need to get there the second bomb goes off 35 sorry i hit the mic the second bomb goes off 35 minutes later and that bomb was intentionally set 35 minutes later because that was the standard response time for Atlanta first responders if somebody hadn't parked a car where that second bomb was set to go off there would not have been a single first responder cop emt firefighter atf that survived that bomb or those two bombs i should say because it's one location was at a closed for the day abortion clinic A second bomb was set off in Atlanta at a known lesbian bar. The third bomb, third bombing, fourth bomb, was set off in Birmingham, Alabama, again, at an abortion clinic. This time, it critically injured a nurse and killed a cop. So now, you're law enforcement public enemy number one. Eric Rudolph got seen, followed description of his vehicle given and that's when all of a sudden he starts leading law enforcement on this rambo style i just no no other way of putting it like like re-watching this thing and just seeing the shit that fucking eric rudolph was doing i'm like this motherfucker is john rambo and plus hearing everything that he's trained in i'm like this motherfucker is a real life john rambo So, when he eventually gets caught, he admits that he also did the Olympic Centennial Park bombing. During this time, poor Richard Jewell, who has been convicted and fucking, you know, tried convicted and sentenced in the court of media, is sitting here trying to prove that he's innocent. And he fucking does it. He's able to prove... That everything that was in the FBI's timeline, he was physically unable to fucking do. Not only be- was he physically unable to do it because of, of his body size, he's, he's a big boy. Big fucking boy. He, picture Paul Blart as, like, an actual fucking cop. That's kind of mean, but, like, that's the only way I can picture this guy. Um, And not only that, but... Also, the fact that he has witnesses saying, no, at that exact moment, he's sitting here showing an Atlanta cop a bag underneath a fucking bench. So basically what it was, was the 911 call came in at one time. Richard Jewell is flagging down Atlanta cops at the exact moment the 911 call comes in. Not only that, but the phone that the 911 call came in is on the opposite end of the fucking park. So think about this. In five minutes, you have to get from one end of a park to another. And this is a big fucking park. Like if you look up a map and you can see where all the payphones were, because we're talking 1996. So payphones were still very prevalent. You know, it, it's a long distance. And his lawyer was able to prove that it would have taken him longer than five minutes to get from the phone back to the bench, plant the bomb, and then get law enforcement. And this, the lawyer he chose wasn't even a fucking criminal lawyer. Dude's a goddamn real estate lawyer. Fuck, man. Like, fuck. Fucking great. So then when um, he goes on 60 Minutes, and 60 Minutes does an independent investigation and proves that Richard Jewell couldn't have done any of this. And then all of a sudden, brilliant lawyer... Says, we're suing Jay Leno, we're suing fucking CNN, we're suing the newspaper, we're suing the reporter, we're suing the FBI, we're suing everybody that sat there and said, Richard Jewell is the fucking Centennial Park bomber. Codenamed Cent Bomb, kind of like Unabomber was Unabom. So, back to Rudolph. Rudolph admits that he planted the bomb. So now the FBI not only has to apologize to Richard Jewell, but then also has to sit there and be like, yeah, we fucked up. If we had caught this guy and focused on this guy during scent bomb, these other three bombs wouldn't have gone off and a cop would be alive and, and a bunch of people wouldn't have gotten hurt. We apologize. Biggest blunder in my opinion, in FBI next to fucking Waco. One of the biggest blunders in fucking FBI history and one of the biggest blunders in media history since the West Memphis Three. So let's talk about that. Okay, here's the the similarities between what happened to the West Memphis Three and what happened to Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell, you have one reporter who fucks her way to get all of her stories. Sorry, that's the only way I can... Th- Say it because I've seen it now in two different fucking documentaries. Fucks her way to get her story. Finds out Richard Jewell is being looked at by the FBI as being the sole bomber, a lone bomber. Rewind three years. Jesse Miss Kelly, Damian Eccles, Jason Baldwin are being looked at for the brutal, brutal, brutal murder of three eight-year-old kids in West Memphis, Arkansas. No other suspects were ever looked into, even though there was this bleeding black man in a Bojangles restaurant that a cop fucked up and lost evidence about. The night the kids went missing. I'll just leave it at that. You also have a ledger... For a professional wrestling event happening three counties over that has Jesse Miss Kelly's name on it stating that he was there wrestling that night. Not only that, you have Damien Echols' sister, Damien Echols' mother, Damien Echols' girlfriend, and Jason Baldwin's mother all saying that Jason and Damien were at Damien's house watching horror movies. The night these kids went missing and they never left until like one o'clock in the morning. Somebody sees Damien, supposedly sees Damien and his girlfriend, Dominique, uh, walking down a service road that's near where the kids' bodies were found. The media in West Memphis and starting to get nationwide attention here because of the brutal murder of three eight-year-old kids. um, All of a sudden is calling... uh, Damien, you know, a Satanist that he he worships the devil because his hair's long, he wears heavy metal t-shirts, and he loves the color black. I used to have long hair. I used to own a trench coat. And I love heavy metal music and I like the color black. Does that make me a Satanist? I also listen to ICP. Does that make me a gang member? But... Nonetheless, then you also have Inspector Gary Gitchell go live on a press conference and say that they've arrested Damien, they've arrested Jason, and they've arrested Jesse. And some idiot in the media asks him, on a scale of 1 to 10, how strong is your case against the 3? Gitchell says, fucking 11. I was flabbergasted when I saw this. And I actually looked up the news clip. I'm not talking about what was seen in in the Three Paradise Lost movies or uh, West of Memphis or in Devil's Knot or, you know, any of these other movies, books or documentaries or even, you know, 48-hour mysteries, 60 minutes, any of that shit. I'm talking about I actually looked up the news footage from K-A-T-8 in fucking West Memphis and watched Gary Gitchell sit there and say 11. And he didn't just say 11. He was emphatic about it. He's just, you know, reporter. On a scale of 1 to 10, Mr. Gitchell, how strong is your case against these three? 11. 11. (laughs) 11. Fuck you, Gitchell. So then, in one of the biggest miscarriages of justice... excuse me it might be time for a water break here in a little bit but we'll get to that in a second gary well not just gary gitchell but investigators in this case pulled jesse miss kelly a 16 year old kid with well-documented mental deficiencies into an interrogation room without his father without his mother without any kind of legal representation and proceed To question him for fucking hours. I think it was documented about 9-10 hours. And there's only 4 hours on tape. So, there's a lot of leading questions in this. And the transcript is very, very clear on a lot of these leading questions. Okay, so, if you've ever been interrogated by the police. And I'm, I'm guaranteeing probably almost all of you out there haven't been. They try to ask you leading questions to get you to answer questions, even if you do not know the answer to them. I've unfortunately been a victim of this myself. But, in Jesse's case, not only do they ask him leading questions, but they pers- they multiple times kept changing the narrative to finally get to a time frame that the police felt was the time frame that all this shit happened. So Jesse would sit there and say it was the morning. Like me, Damien, and Jess, and Jason skipped school. It was morning time. And then the cops would be like, well, it's not morning time because we know we have the attendance records the kids were in school. So was this after school? Yes. Okay, so then it was after dinner? Yes. Okay, so that night when you were in the woods with the kids. And so they kept doing stuff like that making jason trip up on his words and then it would be okay well that makes more sense so do do, do you understand that that makes more sense to what we're saying that it happened at night okay so you have this kid what was jason and damien or what was damien and jason doing you know so they would keep doing stuff like that okay so who had this who had that whose idea was it to do this whose idea was it to do that i'm purposely leaving out shit because it's fucking gruesome and then let's think so that's what they did to them then the police in all their brilliant wisdom give the transcript of this forced confession to the media the media then starts reading verbatim from this confession then when it comes down time the kids were tried separately because Jesse refused to testify against Damien and Jason. You're looking at life in prison, kiddo. If these two were guilty and they forced you to play along with them... And you were professing your ev- innocence... You would testify. Or you, Okay, let me rephrase that. If these two kids were guilty... And the state is offering you a deal. You would turn coat on them so quickly that gets you out of prison in 10 years and lets them fucking rot on death row. If you were guilty, because then you're sitting there and be like, shit, I send these two up the river and I get out in 10 years? I'm squawking. If I'm guilty. If I'm innocent, I'm going to sit there and be like, no, they're my friends. They didn't do nothing wrong. You put that shit in my mouth. I ain't turning coat against them. Fuck you. I'm going to let a jury of my peers tell me what I'm going to do. And that's exactly what Jason did. So then you get to the trial of D- Damien and J- uh, Jason. They can't use the confession. But because that shit's been in the news and they're using a jury from, from Jonesboro, Arkansas, and the entire state has heard this story, all of a sudden you got jurors sitting there saying, What about the confession? And they showed juror notes showing that there were jurors in there that said, let's talk about this confession that Jason, or J, uh, did, 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 did. Jesse did. So now let's fast forward back to Richard Jewell. You have a reporter who fucked a cop and got the information that the FBI was thinking about looking into Richard Jewell. And then you have every major news outlet, and including The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, talking about... Hero cop, now bomber. So then the FBI starts looking into it. They they trick him into coming in, and they're so blindsided at the fact that this is who their guy is that they're going to railroad the fuck out of him. And they're going to keep railroading the fuck out of him, even though there's more bombs going off. They're not even looking into the similarities between the bombs. Because they're like, nope, 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 nope. Centennial Park was Richard Jewell. These three bombs, or three bombings, gotta be somebody else. Turns out they were wrong. So what happened? Well, one person says one thing, everybody else follows suit with it. The same thing kind of happened in the Stephen Avery case. You have special prosecutor Ken Kratz, fucking criminal, as it turned out reading verbatim a forced confession from Brendan Dassey in a press conference. Well, now, everybody in the fucking world knows this confession. It should not have been allowed into Stephen Avery's case, just like Jesse Miss Kelly's was not allowed in Damien and Jason's. So you have all this media fuckery, And this guy is being crucified in the court of common opinion and in the court of media. Which I do believe are two of the very same thing. Because now, you have the news sitting here saying, this dude bombed the fucking Olympics. If this guy tries going out in public without an armed guard, he's going to get fucking murdered. Meanwhile, you got more bombs going off. So that's that. That's kind of the story in a nutshell. Richard Jewell successfully sued all these people, got his reputation back, and eventually did get another job in law enforcement. Congratulations, Richard Jewell. You were able to overcome. So now let's talk about these two specials. I kind of did give away a lot of the story, but there's still a lot of stuff in there that you know hasn't been put in the media that I kind of purposely left out. So, let's start with Manhunt Deadly Games. Manhunt Deadly Games starts with, you know, looking at Richard Jewell, shows the, the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games, shows, you know, the great concerts and everything that were happening, and then gets right into it. Boom. Bomb going off. Richard Jewell hero. Richard Jewell suspect. And then, you know, it does go into the story of Rudolph, the other bombings, the conflict between the ATF and the FBI, uh, Richard Jewell, you know, trying to proclaim his innocence, him going on 60 Minutes in the 60 Minutes story that turned it all around. And, you know, subsequently the conviction of Rudolph as this sent bomb is what the case was closed as very well done the cast in this is great the, my only complaint was was that i didn't hear about this because you know there was another show called manhunt Unabomber that was on the discovery channel discovery channel did not advertise this and like at the beginning of every episode this says a spectrum original so i'm wondering if spectrum cable bought the rights to the show manhunt and put it out only to their subscribers, which in my part of Northeastern Ohio, Spectrum is not available. Okay. I'm going to stop right here for a second. It's definitely time for a water break. My mouth is getting dry as fuck. Okay. Water consumed. Throat not dry, so this show does a great job in giving you moment by moment what was going on, not just in the hunt for Richard Jewell and Richard Jewell's hunt for innocence, but also in the hunt for Rudolph, the actual bomber. It goes into detail about each bombing, it shows the ATF finding similarities between all of the bombs and the FBI not wanting to listen. Because they're so straight-lined on Richard Jewell. Does that sound familiar? Uh, More recent case, maybe Stephen Avery? Or maybe even fucking Waco, even though they were right about Waco. They just handled Waco way wrong. Um, And it's very similar to the Unabomber series. It's ten episodes... Um, each episode is sh- shows every character involved: the FBI agents, the ATF agents, Richard Jewell, his family, his lawyer, um, Eric Rudolph, and then everybody else that Eric Rudolph kind of comes into contact with during his little John Rambo session. Very well done. I give it maybe a B, B plus. Um, <sighs> I thought maybe they could have done a little bit of a better job of showing some of uh, Richard Jewell's fight for innocence. They, they do talk about how he was able to prove that the timeline was wrong and um, a few other minor things. But there were a lot of other things that his lawyer did that they didn't talk about. And those are also some things that I haven't really been able to find that much information on. So, all in all, I give Manhunt a B. I think they did a very good job at looking at every facet of the case, showing you the lives of not just Richard Jewell, but also showing you the life of Rudolph, the actual bomber, kind of talking about the conflict between the ATF and the FBI, and even the conflict between the FBI and the FBI. So, very well done, by Spectrum, and if Discovery did have anything to do with it, it's very well done by Discovery Studios. Kind of wish that it had been on the Discovery Channel like the Unabomber one was, because I would have liked to have seen it as it aired, and not just having to wait for it to appear on Netflix. So that's where you can find Manhunt, Deadly Game, is on Netflix, it's streaming now. Now let's talk about the Clint Eastwood movie, Richard Jewell. This, I give a solid, solid D. And here's why. It shows the Centennial Park bombing. But they leave out a lot of other information. They leave out... um, And they also changed a lot of things. I feel like the the Manhunt, you know, they, they're trying to make it as true as possible. And they were very, very real with the Unabomber episode. Or uh, series, Um, and I think that this Richard Jewell movie it, it skimmed over a lot of things for in a two and a half hour movie. This movie had nothing in it. It was very boring, and it skipped over a lot, a lot, a lot of information. So I think what if I were you, what I would do is I would watch Manhunt. And then I would go and watch Richard Jewell, which is what I did. I wanted to see what was different between the two. So, the Richard Jewell movie speaks only of Richard Jewell. It doesn't talk about any of the FBI investigation into Rudolph. It doesn't even go into um, his interview on 60 Minutes. It doesn't talk about the FBI's apology, all of the redactions, Jay Leno having to apologize... None of it. It doesn't go into any of that. It's like... It basically just says... I was wrongfully accused by the FBI. I got an attorney. The attorney helped me. Now I'm a cop. The end. That's it. That's the whole fucking movie... In a nutshell. And I thought that there were a lot of wasted opportunities. Like I said, the movie is two hours and ten minutes long... And you told a 20 minute story in two hours and 10 minutes. Boring as fuck. And if I was Clint Eastwood, I would have been like, um, wasn't there another guy that actually ended up doing this? Maybe we should talk about him and be like, hey, sorry, um, we know you didn't bomb the place, but, you know, here's a little bit about the guy that did. And they didn't even talk about the other bombings that were happening during this. You know, where it did get a couple of things that that Manhunt might have missed on was talking about the potential accomplices that the FBI might have thought that he had. But at the same token, it's like, okay, great. Like, you bring up this little tiny minuscule detail, but yet there were three other fucking bombings that happened while the FBI is looking at the wrong dude. And you don't touch on that. So I thought that that was a very weak point in the Richard Jewell movie. Um, so, like I said, give them both a watch. Kind of get your own opinion about them. But that's that was kind of my takeaway on it. I mean, this was a huge thing when I was growing up. Because somebody bombed the fucking Olympics, man. Like, who has the nuts to bomb the Olympics? And I think this was just a pissed off dude. Like, or maybe... He tried going out for law enforcement, but they they kind of looked at his at his John Rambo sheet, and they're like, "Dude, you're fucking Rambo. Like, we don't need you going out and you know, you know, fucking Ramboing us in the goddamn woods if Brian Dennehy comes after you. <laughs> um, you know, so you know, there's a lot of information about about Rudolph that didn't really come out though either. Um, but you know, I mean, obviously. When you you talk about this story, you you end up talking about Richard Jewell because of the way that this guy kind of got railroaded and the way that it um, turned into this big thing with, you know, everybody having to essentially apologize to this guy and be like, we're sorry that we accused you of being something that you weren't. You're a fucking hero, dude. Thank you. And it took 60 minutes to fucking prove that? Like, really? Like, fuck you, media. Like... 60 minutes had to sit there and do an, an, an internal private investigation separate from law enforcement to sit there and be like, yeah, like, all the information this dude's lawyer just fucking gave us is true. This guy is innocent, and he was able to fucking prove it. Like, not a lot of people in the world can sit there and say that that's even possible. So, great watches, you know, with all of Richard Jewell's, the movie's, uh, faults you know it was still an interesting watch like you know you kind of get two different perspectives on it and you know while Mind hunt had 10 episodes you know richard jewell only had two and a half hours but i still think that they should have added in some of the rudolph stuff since rudolph ended up being the real bomber so i think that's where we're going to cut it off this week next week i think i'm going to drop one of the uh musicians talking musicians that i have in the can. And that's going to be Psych Ward Part 1. Uh, these guys, they need another episode, and I need to catch up with them and uh, get them back on. Interesting story happens during that episode. Um, and it, My fiancé just so happened to come home while we were talking about the interesting story. So, tune in next week for Psych Ward Part 1, musicians talking musicians, talking to those guys about the devastating duo, Twisted, and one of the quintessential independent rappers who is slowly becoming a fucking phenomenon in mainstream radio, Tech 9. So we talk about Psych Ward first, obviously just like I talk with Dwayne about his projects first, then we start talking... Tech 9 and Twisted. And like I said, we still need to continue because we didn't get very much into Twisted. We got a lot into Tech, but not that much into Twisted. So we did still need to do another episode with those guys. I love chatting with these guys. These guys, you know, got me into the horrorcore rap scene back in the early 2000s and also got me a lot into local music. So I have to thank those guys for that and I've been, I've been getting a lot of great friends out of the local media scene uh, because of my relationship with Psych Ward. So we'll t- do that next week. And then I do have another member of End and Smite I want to bring out here. My, my brother, one of my really good friends, and one of my fellow Northeast Ohio Ghostbusters, Anthony Gonzalez, the singer for End and Smite, I do want to bring him on here and we're gonna talk about a band that I think is very underrated. Um, however, I want to wait to do that because End and Smite is working on another song, their new single. So I wanna wait and bring Tony on so we can talk that new single from End and Smite and talk about some of the changes that have happened to End and Smite. They've got some new Power, some new blood that has joined that band. So I definitely want to get to him about that. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning into Money's Crazy Mind, the return after a month-long hiatus. Like I said, I just I had to get that Steeler shit off my mind, and I had just watched this Richard Jewel stuff, so I wanted to talk about that too. Next week, Psych Ward, Musicians Talking Musicians, Tech Nine, and Twisted Part One. Then. Maybe a week down the road, we'll drop part three of Chris Benoit. Until then, have a week.